another episode of Roll or Die. Uh, today's guest has been around for a little while and uh, she's really been tearing it up lately on the competition circuit. So a uh, big welcome to uh, Brown Belt, Yasmin Sharif. Thanks for joining us. It's Sheriff. She's the sheriff. Yeah, the sheriff. She shot the sheriff. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 So much for having me, guys. I've been watching your podcast or actually listening to it on Spotify for a while now. So um, thanks for having me. No, thank you. I mean, Anton has a plan to have all the female black belts in Australia on. And I think it's pretty safe to say that you're probably pretty close to getting your black belt based on your recent performances you've uh, you've certainly been tearing it up like I said ah uh, look everyone keeps talking about this but I'm quite happy to have a few more years at brown mm. so uh, yeah I don't uh, I don't really like to talk about it <laughs> don't be judged I wonder like if you're if you're going through like you know competing winning all the comps etc what does do you think dictate what is an appropriate time? I mean, obviously it's like when your coach says, but like, what do you think would be, a, like what would make you comfortable to, to have black strapped around your waist? Um, look, my biggest thing right now is my mental, um, we'll call it mental health, I suppose, with competing. I've always had really bad anxiety. It's been an ongoing issue for my whole jiu-jitsu career. Um, and so the last 12 months, I've actually been working with a sports psychologist and working on that. Um, so my BOA performance, even though I lost, was the best I've ever competed. Um, so I feel like I've nearly ticked all those boxes. Um, but, yeah, obviously it's up to my coach. Um, but, yeah, that's yeah, probably no, my, my right, BOA, you did 100%. That, that was the fight of the night with uh, Tina, I definitely think. Even though, like you said, you lost, it was so exciting to watch. And, um, yeah, thank you. Thank you for putting on such an awesome performance for oh, us as spectators. Um, can you share anything of the insights of uh, some of the gems of knowledge that you've learned from your sports psychologist that you could share with our listeners? Um, yeah. So I guess like I've got really negative talk towards myself mm-hmm. and um, I've, uh, I've got a daughter now, she's three and he kind of goes into like, would you let your daughter talk to herself the way that you're talking to yourself? And I'm like, no, of course not. He's like, so why are you doing that? Um, so yeah, so my daughter's like my main pushing, um, you know, person to change my behavior. Cause I definitely don't want to bring her up like that. Uh, it's not about losing either. Like I'm totally happy to lose, but it's just like, I can't mentally give everything on the day. I'm so scared. And what am I scared of losing? No, I'm not scared of losing. Um, so it's just, you know, working through that stuff and just believing in my jujitsu, um, believing in my fitness. Like I don't believe in my fitness. I think, oh, I'm going to gas. Mm-hmm. Um, but everyone's gassing, aren't they? Everyone's, um, yeah. you know, tired. So just like really believe, like having positive self-talk the whole role and um, not trying not to have the negative thoughts come to your mind from like, you know, from the, the morning, you know, I'm like, why am I doing this? And I've trained so hard, but I've probably could have trained harder, harder. Um, you know, I'm a shift working mum now, so it's, it's tough. Like I don't have all of the hours in the day to train. And mm. so like, I'm, you know, I need to 
be really kind to myself and say, like, I'm giving my best, you know, and if someone beats me on the day, well, they've performed better than me. Even if I've done something silly, well, they've performed better than me. And so that's kind of the mentality that we're trying to work out at the minute. Being so authentic about that. I think like, I, like it totally, you, you basically described my world as well. Like all of these reasons. And then when it comes to performance and it's like in front of people that you, you know, that you know are supporting you and I don't want to let them down. I don't want to look stupid. I don't want to make my club look stupid. There's all of these weird things that go on. And yeah, for me, I feel like I'm special, but not in a, in a good way. It's like, I'm specially bad. I'm, I'm not the one who's going to do anything good today. In fact, I'm just going to make everything look bad. You know, so mm-hmm. yeah, it sounds like that negative self-talk. I'm sure, you know, I know you're not alone because I have exactly the same negative self-talk. Um, but it just uh, it does take kind of sharing about it, doesn't it, to kind of for it to stop having its power, like sharing about it and taking actions and getting out there and actually competing and realizing it wasn't like you thought it was. And yeah. Ever again, is that is it? What else? I, my um, previous coach Paulo from Flow Martial Arts used to say, "No one gives a shit whether you win or lose the next day. You all mm-hmm. go back to your lives, your jobs. No one, no one cares." So yeah. it's true. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Can you share with us, Yaz, how you uh, discovered Jiu-Jitsu, how you started it? Um, Yeah, so I think um, 11 years ago, I split up with my fiancé at the time and I saw this poster on a wall at a shopping centre and it said, mixed martial arts, self-defence. And I really wanted to travel the world at that stage and, like, I had no idea how to defend myself and so I rocked up to this club called Shindo New Breed MMA um, on the Gold Coast and started and I hated being punched in the face. I do not like MMA at all, but I love the grappling side of things. Six weeks into my um, starting of this, I decided to do the Queensland State um, titles. Had no idea of the rule set, had only been training for six weeks. And then that's where my passion kind of started. Um, I traveled to Thailand a few times um, to Phuket, oh, sorry, first was to Koh Samui um, and then to Phuket, to Phuket top team um, a couple of times. And the coach, Olavo, there, the first time he's like, you need to train in a gi because my club didn't train gi then. Um, and so the next time I went, I trained in a gi for six weeks and I loved it. And then I was forced because at, at that point, um, the club didn't let me cross train or let anyone cross train in gi at a gi club so I made a decision to just transfer into to gi yeah and what so that's was, my job. in that first competition like six weeks in no training what like that could have been a defining moment maybe I don't know like do you think that that was like in hindsight is that something you advise people compete as early as you can and just see what happens and have fun with it or like was that a daunting experience for you is that the reason why you get so nervous in comps now like, what do you think about competing that early in the game? Well, look, back then that was um, in 2011. Mm-hmm. And so there was not many females around back then, you know. Um, so <laughs> these days, though, like the white belt girls, holy moly, some of them could give me a run for, their, for my money. <laughs> so I probably wouldn't advise these days to compete after <laughs> training. Yeah. Unless you've done like a wrestling or sambo or some type of funky background. Yeah. But no, nah, I don't think so. I got it. Oh, cool. Yeah. And <laughs> one of the reasons I was keen to have you on, Yaz, is that if 
if you don't mind sharing, um, there was a period as well, I think it was about four or five years ago, where you took a break, big break from jiu-jitsu um, and you've come back. So can you talk to us a bit about that? Because there are quite a lot of people that do drop out of jiu-jitsu. Maybe they're not listening to this podcast anymore, but it would be interesting for people who are maybe on the cusp of uh, dropping out. What what happened then and how did you get back? Um, so I never actually dropped out of jiu-jitsu. I dropped out of competition. Oh, okay. Sorry. Uh, so my, my apologies. I, no, it's all good. Um, so I lived down in um, Miami, which if you if you know the Gold Coast, it's the southern end of uh, Miami. I trained at Flow Martial Arts under Paulo. And then I moved to, I bought a house and moved to Ashmore, which is about a 40-minute commute then to, to Cooley. And so um, my partner at the time, like, got lots of respect for her, but she really didn't, like, the relationship with jiu-jitsu, um, I'm sure many of, um, many people know this, it causes a, a bit of pressure on your relationship. And so commuting, doing shift work and not seeing each other, I chose to move to Axis, um, you know, in Southport, which was really close to my house. Um, I really had a bad relationship with um competing I had a really bad weight cut in the trials for the Abu Dhabi Pro like oh it was ages ago now I had to lose 10 kilos and it was like the poorest choice I could ever make I did I did did it by myself I didn't know any nutrition back then and it was just a really hard cut and I just really hated competition and so I decided to just quit competition what's the point and then I had my daughter and oh no I just, I, we got pregnant and I'm like, why have I quit competition? Because I'm too scared of whatever it is. Um, you know, am I going to bring up my daughter um, or my child? Cause we didn't know what we're having in that point at that stage. Um, am I going to bring up my daughter to have this mentality? Well, things are a bit tough. Um, just quit. Wow. Well, that's not me. So I decided to compete again and um, I've been competing ever since at Purple Belt. Um so I think I won um, pan packs all four absolute um, gi and no gi a few years ago. Um, and then I took some time off again competing. And then I got back, at, back to it at Brown Belt when I moved back to Flow Martial Arts about a year after I had my daughter. Mm. So, yeah. Well, so for you is an ongoing proof to yourself that you're not going to let things stand in the way of your life so you can be a role model for your daughter. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Love yeah. that. <clears throat> wow. It's definitely you. Yeah, I can relate. Absolutely. They made, my kids made me get my finances in order, my health in order. I quit drinking. You know, like I, they're an incredible driver for, yeah, and, you know, and you know, they're either going to rebel against it or embrace it or go through waves of both of those things. But, um, yeah, it, it really is a great catalyst, isn't it? And something that's always there for you, you know, like thing, things come and go in life, but your kids are all, like for many of us at least, are always going to be a driver to do better and show them what's possible. That's, that's amazing. And you talked about that weight cut, but I know that you've been um, quite a bit smarter recently about um, your weight loss journey. Are you happy to share some of that with our listeners as well? Um, yeah, so my weight goes up and down all the time, depending on my life. I've got a, I previously had a really bad relationship with food, um, probably, um, from all the weight cuts. Um, so I, 
did a challenge a few years ago when I first had my daughter or my wife, um, my ex-wife had her. And so in my four months period, I decided to do a challenge. So I stacked on a whole lot of weight on purpose on top of what I was already overweight. And so then I spent 12 weeks and I lost 20 kilos. And then I just had an even worse relationship with food. And so I'd binge eat all the time. Um, Look, I'll tell you, (laughs) I'm I'm a nurse. And so I, I'd leave work and I'd already had all of my meals yet. I'd just stop at Macca's on the way home and get something else. And so I was exhausted all the time. I drink 500 mils of water each day. You know, even if I was training, that's what my total water intake was. And I was exhausted all the time. So I um, found, uh, oh, I did States last year and I hurt my back the week before and my coach at the time's like, like, and I didn't put that much training into it, but I won by the skin of my teeth and he's like, right, from now on, you can't be like that. You need to eat better and you need to get fit. And so I'm like, okay, right. So I really listened to him and I got this coach, um, John from BJJ Conditioning. I don't know if you know him. He's online Instagram guy, lives in South Australia. um, And his wife, Ash, is um, from Intuitive Nutrition, is a nutritionist as well. So together I changed my life with food. Um, I drink now two liters of water a day (laughs) at the bare minimum. And my relationship with food is, you know, I I barely binge eat. Um, And... I said I would never cut weight again, but BOA made me cut weight. Um, so I don't jump on the scales, but I only had to cut, I think, three kilos. It wasn't much at all. Um, oh, no, no, it wasn't. It was it was 67 in a gi. So I had to lose seven kilos wow. in seven weeks, but we did it a really healthy way. And so I was really scared that I was going to have, you know, bad eating changes post that comp. But I've, you know, maintained that. And I say, again, I'm never going to cut weight, but you know, it will probably happen again if I get in <laughs> another comp that has to make weight. But yeah, I try not to try not to make weight. Yeah. Yeah. You, you're, you're on a real journey. You know what I mean? Like this is, this is a story that like we don't get to see into the background of a lot of people in the way that you're sharing this stuff today. And it really does show kind of like, the struggle and the adversity, like the mental battle that's ongoing all the time to be on the competing circuit, like whether it's weight or whether it's negative self-talk or whether or not it's training and, you know, and changing up training, whatever it is, like you really are grinding, you know what I mean, in an awesome way because that, that definitely is a lot of people's story. And then you get people like, you know, there's a lot of people out there who it just seems to just become so easy for, you know. I don't think it does, personally. I don't think it comes easy for anybody, but it just seems to come really easily to some people and I think that is hard to relate to for most of us so you know again I just thank you so much for being so open because it's um well it's just very relatable (laughs) I'm learning a lot today just like having this chat (laughs) and yes could you share anything as well about being a shift worker like I don't know maybe for you it's just something that you just put grind away you just get on with but how does that kind of affect your training like I'm sure there's listeners out there that also work shifts how have you got any tips for them um look it's really difficult um you know I'm 36 now I've been a nurse for 14 years I've worked in emergency um I didn't think that shift work was that bad I thought it was a great life until I've had my daughter and I now 
have reevaluated my life and doing night shifts is awful. Mm-hmm. Um, I recently made a decision. So I, I said to myself um, that I would train three times a week and I um, lived in Ashmore and I decided to go back to flow martial arts. And so my, with my ex-wife, we had this agreement that I'd train there at least twice a week, if not three. And so that's all I was training up until um, January. We split up um, last year and I've become a single parent. And so my commuting time and um, my time in general um, has become more important to me. And so I made a decision to leave Flow, which was really upsetting. And I still have a really great relationship with them. Um, But ultimately, I moved to a gym that's close to my house and I um, fight under Fight Club now um, under Luke Mia. And um, he allows me to train um, essentially whenever I can. And so there's a whole bunch of shift workers there. And so we just, if we can't make it to the sessions, then we organize sessions ourselves. So he's got a bit more of a flexible um, timetable than what Flo had. Um, You know, he has a 5.30 a.m. class and a 10 o'clock class and then the nighttime classes. So you can kind of make it to one of those sessions. But um, yeah, it's definitely hard being a shift worker. My friend Steph Tran, I don't know if you know her, she's a gun purple belt and also a doctor. You know, sometimes she might not be able to make it to a class for a week because she's working. So, you know, it's it's difficult. You just have to make the time. I've done lots of deck sessions um, back in the day as well with all my friends. I'm very grateful from different gyms as a whole um, girl club uh, or girl group that we have and we train. Um, so I just have to put the extra time in and you know, depending on what's in my life, I prioritize training or prioritize life stuff. Yeah, I think um, opportunistic training is something I've kind of had to take on for myself. Like I like to train six days a week if possible, but then work gets in the way and health gets in the way and then you get COVID and then, you know what I mean? It's just this constant, then an injury comes up. So like for me, I've just kind of taken on being opportunistic in my training, wherever I can get it in. I, I never allow myself to delay. Like if it's, if, it's, if there's a 10 a.m. class and it's 9 a.m. and I can see that I can squeeze that class in, I'm going to do it. You know what I mean? I'm just, I don't allow myself to go, oh, no, I'll do maybe the lunch because I also, lunchtime is free. I was like, the first class I can get to go to on that day, I'm going to take, right, every time. But having said that, I find myself kind of struggling sometimes with my motivation because, like, I went to Dubai, I came back. I had COVID before that, you know, like it's been a very, it's been a couple of months and, and I was really, I'm really trying to get my brown belt. You know, it's a, there's a lot to do before I do that, but I'm on that mission. Um, but yeah, do you struggle, especially someone who's kind of dealing with this inner dialogue, um, this dominant inner dialogue and everything else, when you're prioritizing life above prioritizing training, do you find that your motivation for jujitsu shifts or is it something that's always present and always constant? Uh. I have this ongoing cycle in my head. So um, like, it's pretty well known. Like my goal right now, since I um, did nationals is uh, winning a ticket for ADCC. So I've literally not trained in a gi since then. And all of my um, priorities um, apart from being a mum, have um, been put on hold and I'm just training as much as I can for ADCC. Um, But, if I don't win the ticket, which I'm not talking about, which, you know, um, you know, I say, I say to people, I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to chill out and just train a couple of times a week and I'll just compete now and then, but whatever, you know, I know that's not going to happen. Um, you just, I, I just have this drive in me that always just 
wants to test myself. However, I need to be realistic. I'm 36 now. You know, all these girls coming up, they're in their 20s. They are probably training full-time jiu-jitsu. Um, so I think I've got an expiry date very shortly. But, but look at Kim. Kim's like nailing it still. So uh, you're my- I don't know about that. You're too kind. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I know exactly what you were saying when you're talking about the time, the importance of time. I think as a single mum, like that is more important to me than money, actually, time. Like I just can't stand wasting time. Um, yeah, my time is more precious to me than anything at all. So, yeah, I hear you loud and, loud and clear about um, having to do that. And um, just going back to talking about your work, so um, you mentioned about being a nurse. Are you, are you a midwife, yeah? No, I'm, I work in emergency. Emergency. So how was that? Like how has that been over the past couple of years? That's pretty stressful, yeah? It's tough. It's actually worse now. Yeah. <laughs> Post-COVID because, um, like, everyone was scared. We really didn't get the big strain like America and the UK did and lots of people died and lots of nurses have quit the um, profession because they were literally working with, you know, four or five ventilated patients with a nurse that never had looked after a ventilated patient. So for people that don't know what ventilation is, the um, they've got a tube down their, their throat and um, they're on a machine that's helping them stay alive. So usually that's one-to-one in an ideal world, one patient, one nurse, um, but they didn't have the nursing capacity. So it was like one nurse that knew how to use the ventilators to another couple of nurses that kind of looked after the patient and cared for them, cleaned their body, turned them, um, gave them antibiotics or other other drugs. So it was a very stressful period for, you know, the other side of the world. Now we had this hype that we were continually like, you know, when is it going to hit? Um, and it kind of never did. And so people were really scared. The community was really scared. And so the presentations died off um, through the EDs. Now I work in one of the busiest EDs in the Southern Hemisphere um, and it's now pretty awful to, to go to work. There's lots of nurse shortages, um, lots of ramping. I don't know if you guys see the news, but I'm sure you guys have the same issues there. But um, it is really stressful, but I started jujitsu for, you know, self-defense reason, which today I don't believe in. I think um, I'm going to be really controversial and say, like, no matter if you're a female against a male, it just takes one hit and you're knocked out. And that's, that's the end of it. If they're trying to rape you, of course, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be very difficult, but once you have weapons and, you know, yeah. that one hit, I just think, yeah, people are unrealistic. But it's not a magic bullet. That's for sure. Yeah. 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 And I guess, um, you know, I did an assignment recently for my grad cert and we have violence, um, work, we're exposed to workplace violence every single day, multiple times away a day. And so like, you know, you think that it never affects you, but I think all emergency workers have some type of PTSD, um, but jujitsu, and I think that there's going to be a study done about it, um, you know, about how when you train, you're, you're always kind of training in that flight or fight mode um and so you can kind of regulate your emotions when someone's yelling at you because you're continually getting choked out or armbarred or knee knee barred or whatever you know you're used to that so when someone's yelling at me um and like threatening my life or whatever I can maintain a really calm presence because of jujitsu I feel yeah that's amazing something I'm studying at the moment is the relatedness of learning one thing to other areas because like it's actually proven and Lockie Giles 
kind of promoted this book on his page. So then I got the book and started reading his book peak. And it just talks about like, if I study chess, for example, because that's something I study a lot, will that make me better at jujitsu? Or will it make me better at other areas of life? And it's very well proven it will not, right? Which is really a shame for me because I was trying to prove that chess is life. But I completely don't agree. I, I agree with you that like in learning jujitsu and being placed under constant pressure or having to deal with constant pressure situations, it does make you, if it does, if you choose to apply it to other areas, like if you open the door as a conversation in your mind, like, okay, if I'm going to be better at pressure with jujitsu, I'm therefore committed to being better at pressure in the emergency department. I believe that it is linked. You have to link it up in your own mind first, but if you do that, you're right. It, 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 it filters over because you're saying like, while this person's screaming at you and they're on ice and all of these things are happening, right? You're saying, well, I deal with situations just like this in the gym, you know? So I, I, I tend to agree. And yeah, so jujitsu has definitely helped me a lot with anxiety in like public speaking, for example, or, you know, stressful arguments or whatever else, like all violence in the street, random violence. Like I, I back myself more um, but yeah, it is interesting to kind of, a, a lot of people think jujitsu will solve all sorts of problems. It doesn't necessarily solve those problems. I think they need to, they need to allow it to solve problems in other areas of life, if that makes sense. Yeah. But I guess like the question, Kim, is um, has COVID been really hard? Yeah, of course it's been hard. Like our practices have changed. Um, we have to wear an N95 mask still today, which is really annoying, even though the community is back to normal. Um, to work each day and it just like your relationship with patients changes it's um, you know the way we do things now has changed so I guess you get less sick you know you work in kids emergency and they're like I love my own child but they're all little ferals that have so much germs everywhere and so I guess like you know when you work in that area you're less likely to get sick now <laughs> um, so, but I, I think mostly COVID has definitely changed things for a lot of nurses yeah for sure yeah, you're right. related people have you dealt with in emergency? Pardon? How many jujitsu-related jiu injuries have you dealt oh, with in emergency? So many. And my first question to them is, what belt are you? <laughs> you're a nurse, right? You're that one yeah. that doesn't say, what is jujitsu? You know? You're... Yeah. And I'm like, oh, you're a white belt. Oh, that makes sense. Is that where most of the injuries are happening? Yeah, most yeah. of them. I've, I'm actually... Only list, um, looked after one coloured belt before, yeah. um, but the most of them are white belts. Yeah. And on that, would you have any advice for uh, people who are either beginning or, or for girls as well, you know, that are starting on the mats who are, you know, just struggling with the, that, those early years of jiu-jitsu? You've been doing it for a pretty long time now. What, what's your advice to people of how not to get injured? Um. Yeah, I've been very fortunate that I've not had big injuries in jiu-jitsu, um, which is really lucky. Um, so I guess you, you just need to remember that you're a woman and they're a man and a lots of men um, and even women um, go really rough. And so you need to say out loud, hey, um, you're rolling really hard. I can't defend it ever. Um, so if you want to have a good role, maybe put it back, bring back your pace and your strength and we'll have a good technical role. Otherwise it's going to be bad for you and it's going to be bad for me. 
Yeah. Um, if it continues, I guess like you have the power to say, I don't want to roll with you and yeah. tell your professor or how, whatever you want to coach or yeah. Yeah. I think that applies to, to everyone, male and female, that communication is probably the key. Yeah. A lot of people, especially early days of jujitsu, feel a little bit uncomfortable to speak up and, and say, no, I, I don't want to do that. Or I don't want to, um, you know, partner with you or whatever it is. But I think you're a hundred percent right that you have to, you have to speak up. Otherwise, um, unfortunately you're either going to get injured or maybe you'll just stop training. Yeah. Um, and people do jujitsu for different reasons and, you know, not everyone needs to compete. It's just like a release, a social thing for people. So you just have to really, you know, acknowledge like, why are you doing this and don't let anyone pressure you into it. And if you're rolling with bad people all the time, then um, I shouldn't say bad people, just people that don't respect your jujitsu and your journey, then it maybe it's a conversation with your professor or a gym change, you know? And I think Um, there are people in in our club who don't ever roll with me or I don't ever roll with them for different reasons, you know, and that's okay. Like you want to, you know, like my view was I should roll with anyone anytime they want to roll. But over the years, I've just learned, no, there's person I don't want to get injured or, or I don't go hard enough for some people. They avoid me or whatever it is. It's fine. You know, like it's okay to not roll with everybody in the club in my view, you know, and like getting, I guess like this is probably a little bit of a different topic, but, you know, when I started jiu-jitsu and Kim, you're exactly the same. There was, wasn't very many females doing it, especially in Australia. And so you'd be like a rarity in your club and you'd be treated a bit differently or, um, you know, and then more women started and the culture, women bring a different energy to a gym and sometimes it's good and sometimes it's really bad. And I've experienced, um, you know, lots of girls that don't want to roll with me. They also don't want to enter comps, I hear, because I've entered the comp. And, you know, like, yeah, it's just really interesting people's perspective and, like, yeah, I guess there's um, Alice from Flow has started a women's only open mat um, and it's really good because, you know, all women go and the culture is changing there. It's not as competitive, there's, like, no competition and, it's just really nice. So I just think depending on what gym you go to and depending what woman, woman you roll with is, yeah, it's challenging. You mentioned about communication. Do you think that's also the key with, um, we've only got a little bit of time to cover it, but in terms of your changing gyms a couple of times, is that kind of the key to having a conversation with your professor about leaving? Yeah. Um, Cause I know that can be a very tricky uh, topic for a lot of people. Oh boy. Uh, changing clubs. Yeah. It's that hard. The culture is like, you know, what is it, Creonti? You know, yeah. Um, it's really hard, but I guess I don't really know why uh, this cultural stuff, I guess, it's, it's evolved over the life of jiu-jitsu. But, like, no one cares if you go to, well, I'll say, world gym. I don't know if you know what world gym is, to an EMF. Like, no one cares. No, Like, you just go to a different gym. Um I think it's respectful to talk to your professor and like, if there is reasons, you have to be honest about it. Um, my friend, Dave Hart from dominance, um, you know, always uh, we have great conversations. I've been really good friends with him for many years. And he's like, you have to have difficult conversations with people. You don't just leave. Um, if you've got problems, you need to acknowledge it. It's like in a relationship, you know, got to communicate these problems, um, and give them a chance to fix it or, or not. But I guess like, 
the reasons why I left, um, I left Axis um, because I just, I love Jason a bit. I just not a Hicks and Gracie jiu-jitsu. I don't follow rules. I don't like to wear a white gi. Like I don't <laughs> like being restrained, you know, with these these things that he follows. And yep. I, I, you know, Paulo was always my professor from white belt days and I just miss Flo so much and I love the culture that they bring there. But I guess like these days, you know, distance and time and being a mum is, is different. But yeah, definitely having a conversation saying, hey, if you've got problems X, Y, Z, giving them a chance to fix it. And then being like, well, it's just not, not a fit for me. Yeah, good on yeah. you. Courage. And, and you're right, because this jiu-jitsu journey is yours. It's like yours to make it how you want. And those choices are all pivotal. Absolutely. Like we had something... Yeah recently out like our head coach has gone back to brazil tiago love him and it will have an impact on the culture of the club there's decisions to make some people have left some people are staying you know but you know these things are significant when they happen because we're as you say it's about relationships at the end of the day this is all relationship stuff um yeah not a club and a gym that's not it it's re- it's real people multiple real people you have to interact with and show up with and you know deal with them every day yeah. And um, sorry, go, Kim. I know I was just going to say any part, uh, final words because we've got about two minutes to go. So oh. any last words of wisdom? Well, I don't, I don't really have wisdom words, but I just. <laughs> oh, rubbish. No, this has been great. No, you've had very, very much wisdom through this podcast. Uh, in a dialogue again. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Just I love jiu-jitsu and um, there's many of us who have quit. Uh, but when you have that thought, I guess you just need to weigh up, you know, the positive that it brings to your life. And, yeah, jiu-jitsu's changed my life for the better. Uh, and I, I've met so many good friends and met, like, travelled around the world. And it's just it's the best. And thank you so much for having me on this podcast. I feel honoured. So, um, yeah. All right. Anytime, anytime. As I said, um, I guess we've kind of jumped the gun a little bit in getting you on before your black belt because, as I said, Anton is keen to get all the female Aussie black belts on. So once you do get that, we'll have to get you back on for a a repeat because we've had a couple of repeat guests already as well. So, yeah, thank you so much for joining us and all the very best of luck uh, at the trials. I think that we this podcast will be coming out just before then. So if you could share it, that would be awesome, help uh, grow our little audience. Absolutely. I'll be sharing it. Well, thanks again, guys, and have a good day. Thank you. See ya. Bye. Bye.